The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Well, good morning, everyone. As the while the study sheets are being distributed, if you will, please uh, open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3, and uh, we're, we're going to wrap up today, we're going to finish our study on the grace of God, not that we've completely studied the grace of God, not that we've covered every possible uh, segment of this, of this doctrine, but uh, we've gone through this as, as thoroughly as I think we can, and, and uh, of course, you know, the grace of God, as I've said many times, is a, is a lifelong study. And you'll, you'll be studying and learning about God's wonderful grace uh, throughout the remainder of your, your time on this earth. And of course, when we see the Lord face to face, we then will have perfect wisdom and we'll understand all things. So at that point, we won't need a Sunday school class to, to teach us things about God. We'll know it all because he will impart it to us. But in the meantime, uh, we'll wrap up our study on the grace of God today. Um, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul talks about the hidden mystery of the church, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but this is the section of scripture that I use to to uh, uh, close this this study because it's it does speak of grace in Ephesians chapter three, and uh, but I, I want to look at the third aspect today in my summation of the grace of God. I talked about the majesty of grace, and we we saw the uh, how majestic God's grace is, and how how gracious it really is. Then we looked at the magnitude of God's grace, and we looked at that last time we met and uh, saw that it was seen, and the magnitude of God's grace was seen in past history, it's seen in present circumstances, and it's seen in prospective victories. But today I want to look, number three, at the manifestation of grace. The manifestation of grace. One of my favorite songs is Saved by Grace. I have a, I, I put one verse of that song on your study sheets. Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more as now shall sing. But oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of the king. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story, saved by grace. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story, saved by grace. Grace is such a, grace is such a, a, a deep subject. It's so astounding. It's so amazing. It's so marvelous. Um, I just I just lack the eloquence. I lack the words to to properly impress upon your hearts and minds the 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 great the great depth of God's grace. But oh, how gracious it is, especially in times like this, when we go through difficult times. Uh, it is God's grace that sustains us. It is God's grace that gives us hope. God's grace that gives us courage, and uh, we draw upon that grace. Very, very deeply in times like this. Um, let's pray before we go any further. Father, indeed we are, our hearts are heavy today. And, um, Father, we have mixed feelings. Uh, we certainly will miss Joanne, but Lord, we rejoice in the fact that she's in your presence. That as we stand here this morning, she, she sees you face to face. And she is shouting that story, saved by grace. And Lord, just help us today to to find strength in, in your word and strength in, in, in your grace and, and help us to, to be living testimonies of your grace in our 
in our homes, in our, at our workplaces, in our schools, and all throughout the, the world that we travel. Thank you, Father, for this day. Bless us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, look at verse 6. We see here, we read that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul here talks about um, this gift of grace that's given to him, and, and it's evidenced and seen in, in his unworthiness, yet the fact that God uses him. And God's grace does the same for all of us. Do you realize as you sit in this pew this morning, uh, I don't care what kind of impression you have of yourself, do you realize we're all just sinners saved by grace? That within us, within our hearts, lies all wickedness and evil within the human heart. Uh, I, know, I know often men like to, don't like to think that of themselves, especially unsaved men. As I communicate with so many people, uh, people say, well, I don't think I'm all that bad. And uh, it's hard to convince an unsaved man that he really is wicked and evil. Uh, but he is, whether he wants to admit it or not. And it's God's grace that manifests that unto us. It's God's grace that shows us just how unworthy we truly are. Because when we look at the grace of God, we see our failures. And, and what, a, what a wonderful truth the grace of God is. We've looked, as I said earlier, we looked at the majesty of grace and the magnitude of grace. But now it's time to close by looking at the manifestation of the grace of God. Manifestation, by definition, is the act of disclosing something by clear evidence. So when we manifest something, we, 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 we make it open. We make it known uh, by presenting tangible proof, by, pre by presenting clear evidence of, of, uh, of what we're, we're talking about. Now, certainly one would have to admit that the doctrines of grace uh, stir up contention among believers. When you get into the, when you start talking about the doctrines of the grace of God and the many facets of it, when you talk about election, when you talk about sanctification, when you talk about separation, when you talk about perseverance, when you talk about preservation, all of these things which are parts of the doctrines of grace, uh, they can stir up a lot of contention. You get a lot of very uh, emotional opinions. Uh, and, and we have to be careful not to, not to deal with emotional opinions, but rather to conform to what? The word of God and the truth of the word of God. So uh, certainly we can, we can understand that there is a, a lot of contention involved when you start talking about the doctrines of the grace of God. But uh, this one single doctrine is the most important of all. If we have the wrong tenets concerning grace, then all of our other doctrines will be out of sync. All, everything else, if we, if we have the wrong understanding of God's grace, then all the other doctrines that we will find in Scripture will not be synchronized to the sovereign grace of God, will not, be, will not conform to God's intention and his sovereignty. 
But the grace of God is clearly manifested by at least three modes. And I want to look at these this morning. First, letter A on your study sheets. The manifestation of grace is seen in the purpose of God. It is seen in his purpose. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, we read, Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Let's look at that together. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. We see here that Paul tells us that our salvation and calling were not according to our own works of righteousness. Across this country this morning and in, in hundreds and thousands of, of church auditoriums just like this, men are, are there attempting to offer to God works of righteousness that will, that will make available to him the grace of God, that will make God's forgiveness available, that will make God's, God's compassion available. This is taking place all across the country and in churches of all denominations, including Baptist churches. But we see that God's grace is given, according to Paul, by his own purpose and grace. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Second uh, Timothy 1.9. It was according to God's own purpose that you and I are saved. Now, none of you knew me prior to being saved. Not even my own children knew me prior to being saved. Um, I was not a very lovable person. I don't know how in the world my wife ever agreed to marry me. I really don't. I think she's, she might be a little, a little dark-sided herself there, you know. She, but I wasn't a very lovable person. I wasn't a very likable person. I, I, if I were making selections, I would never have selected someone like me to be saved. But God did. He did it according to his purpose according to his understanding and according to his grace. And the same is true for you. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Well, you don't seem too excited about it. But it is. It was according to his own purpose. Uh, there is a purpose in grace and in the means by which God distributes grace. Now, let me give you some thoughts under this. First, this purpose includes salvation. Salvation. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, we read, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So we're saved by, by our faith, but even our faith was given by God. God gave us the faith to believe. We acted upon the, the knowledge that God gave us, but if God does not enlighten us, if God does not quicken us and reveal to us truth, then we will never Accept truth on our own because we by nature are evil. We by nature are against God. So God's purpose was to bring salvation to, to his people. He purposed, he said in his own heart, to redeem a people unto himself. And this redemption is the result of God's grace. Uh, salvation was not, however, and is not the focal point of grace. 
uh, a shallow view of grace would be to just sum it all up by saying God's grace is salvation. That, that would be a very, very shallow definition of the grace of God. Uh, God. Salvation was not and is not the focal point of grace. What is? What is the focal point of grace? I've, I've, I've said this before. Anybody remember what I said the focal point of grace is? God's sovereignty and glory is the focal point of grace. And salvation is one of the many byproducts that we see because of God's grace. Uh, certainly is an important one to us. Amen. Salvation, the salvation of God through grace is, is probably the most important to you and me today. But to God, it was only one piece of grace. It was only one thing that God, uh, that God brought about by his grace. And, and, and our salvation with God is, is a wonderful thing. The Bible says as rejoicing in the, in the presence of the angels over one soul that repenteth. And, and truly, salvation is a wonderful thing. I don't want to play it down. But I just want us to understand that God's grace is much deeper than just my salvation. Because God's grace also contains, number two, uh, the purpose includes sanctification. What good is salvation without sanctification? In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, we read, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of God uh, the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Also, the, the grace of God involves God's purpose was to, to, to call unto himself a, a, a people, um, purify a people unto himself, a peculiar people zealous of good works. You know, when I got saved, um, the first thing that I wanted to do was serve God. I, I, I don't know about you, but when I, when I came to, to understand salvation and when I, when I was saved, when God, when God regenerated me and, and opened my eyes and awakened me to, to salvation and I got saved, um, I made God two promises that day. First promise I made was that I would never again allow a man to deceive me concerning spiritual truth. That I would study the word of God. That I would become knowledgeable of these things through, through God's teaching me through his Holy Spirit. And the second thing I promised was that I would spend the rest of my life. If God would bless, I'd spend the rest of my life teaching others uh, about Christ. Witnessing, being a witness for Christ and a gospel witness. I wanted to serve God. I, I wanted to stop doing all the things I used to. I didn't want to do those things anymore. I didn't get saved and then wake up on the next morning and go into the refrigerator and pop out a beer and say, ah, I'm going to enjoy this beer now that I'm saved. I, I didn't do that anymore. I, I didn't go do things that I, that I knew were wrong. Why? Because God, when God saved us, his grace sanctified us. In a manner of speaking, he gave us a bath. 
Hmm? How many of you have children or grandchildren who like to play in your dirty backyard? Huh? Yeah. What do you want to do when they when they're when they're when the, the sun starts go down, going down? What do you want to do? You want to give them a bath, right? I mean, you love them. You still love them, but you don't really want them crawling on your lap and 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 kissing you on the face when they're all dirty, do you? When I was about, I think I was about five or six. We didn't have, we didn't have sewer then. I mean, you know, like like we have now. We had septic tanks, and we didn't have services that came by and pumped out your septic tank either. You had you had to take care of all of that yourself. And so, my dad had uncovered his septic tank, and he was working on that. And it was getting late, so he wasn't going to be able to finish it for the day. So he put he just put a couple of boards on top of it. And as we often did when I was a kid at night, we would play hide and seek in the dark. And uh, I was running around the house. And when I as I turned around the corner and my foot hit one of those boards, that board just went out and I went into the septic tank. Headlong. (laughs) My brother started screaming, Dad, Dad. Dad come running out the house and there I am in a septic tank. And dad was there going, oh, oh, man. And they, they, they got me out. And I was crying. And daddy just pointed to the house. And mom gave me a bath. Nobody wanted to hug me or comfort me <laughs> in my moment of terror. Nobody. Why? Because I was filthy. I was beyond filthy. And I, I got like five baths that night. I mean, it wasn't that many, but it seemed like it. I got the scrubbing of my life. And afterward, everybody wanted to hug me and everybody wanted to comfort me. And I'm thinking to myself, well, well none of you wanted to help me a half hour ago. And, and God sanctifies us. He's purified us. We were filthy. We, we were like coming out of the septic tank. And his grace cleansed us. His grace purified us. His grace made us acceptable in his sight. His grace made us agreeable to him. And his grace causes us to be zealous to live for God. I tell you what, I, I, really, I really do think you need to examine your heart. If you can walk out of these doors, knowing that you are a child of God, and go out and just live in sin. If you can do that. If you can live in sin with no conscience. Then you better, you better examine your heart because something's wrong. Something doesn't smell right. So the purpose includes sanctification. Now, what do we do with this sanctification? Well, let me give you some sub-thoughts under my other thoughts real quick. Uh, next point on your, on your study sheet is this. Grace teaches us to renounce sin. And second, uh, I'm sorry, in Titus chapter 2, verse 12, we read, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and, world, and worldly lusts. God's grace teaches us to, to deny the ungodliness. It, it teaches us to deny the lusts of this world. We're to renounce the things of this world. 
How do we do this? First, by we resist. In James chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, we read, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You just resist. You know, saying no is an option. We, we live our lives as sinners. Those of us who, who got saved at, at older in life, we live our lives as sinners. And we're so used to giving in to, the, to the, the desires of the flesh and the lusts of the world that when we get saved, sometimes we don't, we don't realize we can say no. You can just say no. You can resist. You see, sin for the believer is a choice. It's not a necessity. Now, for the unsaved man, he can't help but sin. He might be able to resist sin for short spaces of time, but he can't. Uh, eventually, uh, the lust will overtake him. Temptation will overtake him, and he'll succumb to, to, to temptation, and he'll sin. But you know, for the believer, we sin because we want to sin, not because we have to sin, because we don't have to sin, because God has given us victory over sin. We're still in the same fleshly body. We still have the same lusts and desires, but we can say no. Saying no is an option. First, resist. Television, internet, movies, these things have all corrupted the hearts and minds of men today. And all we have to do is say no. All we have to do is, is resist them. Uh, then, then we renew. Not only first resist, but then renew. The next check mark on your study sheet. Renew. Romans chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We renew. We, we change the way we do things. We don't, we don't watch the, the, the corrupt television programming anymore. We don't go to the websites that are full of, of lust and, and evil. We renew our mind. We change the way we think about things. I work with a, with a man who's a year younger than me, and he and I often talk about how sad it is today, about how different things were than when we were young. And some of you here are older than me, so you know what I'm talking about. We talk about the times when men had character. We were talking the other day, as a matter of fact, we were talking about the fact that when two men shook hands, that was what? That was a contract. It was binding. That was it. You, you walk onto a man's property, you shake his hand, say, I'm going to buy your house. That's it. It's a done deal. That was a contract. People had character. People, people um, uh, lived by, by higher standards than they do today. And, and, you know, if we're not careful today as Christians, we develop the mentality of the world. We develop the philosophies of the world and the, and the secular humanists and and the, the prosperity preachers and all the other people around us, we're, we're constantly being pressured to, to, to think worldly. But we need to renew our minds, and we need to have the mind of Christ. We need to have our mind in the Word of God. We need to do those things uh, that, that are acceptable in the sight of God, not in the sight of man. If we, if we simply live our lives to... To, to, to please men, we've, we've lived a very shallow life. You understand that. We've missed the main goal, which is to please God. So we renew. But then next on our study sheet, grace teaches us to rule self. Not only does grace teach us to renounce sin, but next it teaches us to rule self. 
Titus chapter 2 and verse 12, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Now, this may sound like, uh, like heresy when we say we control ourselves because before we were saved, we had no power over the flesh. We couldn't control our flesh. But guess what? Because of God's sanctification and grace, we, we now can. We can rule ourselves. We're to govern our hearts. We're to bring our bodies into subjection to the will of God. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul says, I keep under my own body. He says, I, I bring my, myself into, into subjection every day. And we need to do the same thing. And it's God's sanctification that makes that possible. Because God has empowered us. Do you understand that? He's empowered us to live holy lives. That's why he's commanded us. The reason he commanded us to be holy is because he's enabled us to be holy. Now he hasn't done it automatically. He hasn't just come along and said, okay, that's it. You will never sin again. You're holy from now on. Hey, he hasn't done that. But he has made holiness available to us, has he not? He has empowered us to live Holily before him in his presence. So we, the, the, the grace of God teaches us to rule our own hearts and minds. Don't fall for the old excuse that the devil made me do it. Flip Wilson coined that phrase back in the 70s. He made it famous. The devil made me do it. The devil can't make you do anything. Don't give the devil, don't give him God's attributes. Don't make him, him omnipotent. Omnipotent. Don't make him omnipresent. Don't make him omniscient. He doesn't possess those characteristics. Now the devil is much stronger than you or me, for sure. And he is, he should, we should fear him. And we should be very cautious of him. And we shouldn't be like, like Peter who says, I'll never forsake you. But the fact of the matter is, the devil can't make you do anything. He can only tempt you. He can only try you. He can only test you. It is, it is you and I that must give in to sin. In James chapter 1, James writes, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You know why we, you know why we sin? Because we want to sin. That's it. Real simple. We, we watch the television programs we shouldn't watch because we want to watch them. We, we, we do the things we shouldn't do because we want to do them. And we make excuses for it. We blame society. We blame, uh, we blame uh, pressure. All these other things. But the truth of the matter is it comes down to one thing. James said, James said that every man is drawn away by his own lust. And the, the, sooner that, the sooner that I look in the mirror and, and see what I truly am, the sooner I'll, be able, I'll, have, I'll find the, the courage to stand up and change it. As long as we look in, in the mirror and deny what we see, we're not going to change anything. If we are going to change our hearts and minds to conform to the image of Christ, and we're going to have to look in the mirror and see that we are not in the image of Christ and change it. So grace teaches us to rule self. Next, grace teaches us to reverence God. 
Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You hear it all the time, don't you? You go through, you go through life and you hear people flippantly using God's name and, 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 and saying things that with, with little to no the man upstairs or the old man up in the sky or things such as that with such irreverence toward God. You know, when we utter the name of God, we should tremble because he is great and mighty and he is fierce. We need to, grace teaches us to reverence God. But before I was saved, I, I, didn't, I didn't have much reverence of God. And, and I would probably think you didn't either. But it's God's grace that has taught us this. It's God's grace that, that has taught you and I to, to, to love and, and worship the Father. God's grace teaches us reverence of God. Next, God's grace teaches us to respond diligently. His grace teaches us to respond diligently. Titus chapter 2 verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. I remember when, when I was in the Air Force, um, young man, and, and I believe that the Lord began to tug at my heart at that time. I had a, I had a co-worker in the Air Force who was, um, he was a Christian. And he used to bring his Bible to work and he'd go sit out at a, at a little patio outside the office at lunchtime and he'd read his Bible. And, and I, began to, I began to be inquisitive about that. We went camping one time and uh, he, I was up late near the fire. He came over and sat by me and he, he started witnessing to me. And I was very, very interested in what was going on. And he and I began to talk and he said, well, I'm... He, he, he said, I'm going to go ahead and go in now. And he left his Bible sitting next to me there uh, on a rock. And he went into the tent and he laid down. And I reached over and I grabbed that Bible. And I started looking through it. And one of the other guys that was camping with us came out of the tent. And he said, man, what are you doing with that thing? And I said, oh, nothing. And I closed it and I threw it aside. Um, but, you know, one thing grace teaches us to do is to respond positively to Christ it makes us it purifies us and makes us, makes us hunger for righteousness and hunger for truth you know what draws you to church on a Sunday morning uh, to sit in Sunday school and listen to some idiot like me babbling on and on it's a desire for knowledge it's a desire for truth that's what it that's what causes that and great God's grace that's the work of God's grace the, teaching us to desire spiritual truth we're not just to be hearers of the word, we're to be doers. James chapter 1, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Far too many of God's people today are hearers only. Hearing the word of God, but not responding to it. Hearing God's call unto them, but not answering that call. So we see that God's grace is manifested uh, in his purpose. Then... Letter B on your study sheets, God's grace is manifested. His manifestation is seen in the person of Christ. It's seen in the person of Christ. Not only in his purpose, 
but in the person of Christ. Second Timothy chapter one, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. In Christ Jesus before the world began. Our, our grace was established in eternity past. And the grace that God gives us is seen in Jesus. Without Christ, there would be no grace. That's why the devil worked so fervently to keep the Messiah from coming at all. You remember in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 16 that King Herod, when, he, when after the, the, the Magi left, King Herod uh, uh, commanded that all of the uh, children be slain under a certain age. Why? Well, he was trying to wipe out Jesus. And the devil was doing his best to, to, to keep the Messiah from even reaching the cross. Uh, but then even once he came, he worked equally hard to destroy his righteousness. In Matthew chapter 4, we can read and see the, the temptations of Christ. The devil brought him into the brought him away and captured him away and, and began to tempt him. But Jesus would not, would not succumb to the temptations of, of the devil. And in failing that, he tried to keep him in the grave. You remember that? Yeah, in Matthew chapter 27, he, he inspired the, uh, the Pharisees to go to, to um, Herod and, uh, I mean, to go to Pilate and, and have a guard put on the, on, the, on the tomb itself. He was trying to keep Jesus in the grave. The devil did everything he could to prevent the Messiah from succeeding in his quest. But alas, he failed in all this. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Matthew 28, verses 5 and 6, And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified, he is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. As grace is manifested in, in the person of Jesus Christ. God's grace is seen in Christ. God's grace is Christ. And for you and I, that is the most important truth we'll ever adhere to. Is our grace and our salvation and our hope and our future and everything we are rests in the hands of Jesus Christ. But then lastly this morning. The manifestation of God's grace. Is seen in the presence. Of the Holy Spirit. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. We read elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Through sanctification of the Spirit. Unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Do you see that in there where he says through sanctification. Of the Spirit. Now, for many years, I fear Baptists, for fear of being considered charismatic, <clears throat> have downplayed the Holy Spirit. But do you realize how big a part of your life the Holy Spirit really is? It is the Holy Spirit that is with you and, and convicts you and instructs you and guides you. He is with you at all times. He is the comforter. He is the one that Jesus said he would send in, in his place when he ascended to his father. Now, <clears throat> I certainly am not advocating that we go off and become charismatic by no means. But you need to have 
an understanding that God's grace to you is manifested in his Holy Spirit and his actions in your life and his role in your life. The deliverance of God's grace is seen in the work of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, Now he which establisheth you, uh, us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. God's grace is, uh, God's, God's Spirit works in our lives and works in our hearts. Um, the word used here by Paul is earnest, and this literally means something of value given by one person to another to bind a contract. Let me, let me try to illustrate this. When, when my son was about six or so, I guess, he needed some dental work. And um, he was terrified. And, and the dentist said, you know, it would probably be better if you step out of the room here and let, let us work with, with him. And uh, he was just horrified. So I did something. I took out my keys. And I said, son, I'm not going to leave you. I'm just going to be in the next room. I said, here, hold my keys. And he grabbed hold of those keys, and I went into the next room. And you know what? He knew I couldn't leave without my keys. This, this was my earnest to him that I wasn't going to leave him. I gave him my keys. And the dentist afterwards told me, he said, that boy was white-fisted, clenching those keys. He was not letting go of those keys. No matter what. And God has given me something better than a set of keys. He's given me his own, his own self. He's given me his spirit. His spirit dwells in me and, and, and resides in me. And God's grace to me is manifested in the presence of the spirit. God gives us his Holy Spirit as collateral for our redemption. As long as we have the spirit... We have the grace of God. Romans 8.15 For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The grace of God is seen in his purpose. The grace of God is seen in the person of Christ. And the grace of God is seen in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Well, <clears throat> I've enjoyed uh, the time we've spent studying the grace of God. I hope that you have. And certainly, as I said, this is not an exhaustive study by any means. And I encourage you to just invest your life in, in, in digging into the great truth of the grace of God. All right, folks, that's all the time I have for this morning. So you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.